There's never been a better time to be alive. And whatever the metrics you choose, the world is on its all-time high. So why living seems sometimes so hard? Here I ask people in the forefront of building the future their reasons to be optimistic and the challenges they see ahead. I'm Mauro Rebelo, biotech scientist and entrepreneur, and this is the All-Time High Podcast. Pedro Moneu is an innovation engineer. He is the founder and CEO of Opino, a consulting company that helps clients to execute open innovation and prepare to remain competitive in the future. In this episode, we talk about the conflict between dynamism and sustainability, the construction of a platform for human survival, and the importance of an organization's size to support long-term thinking. I really enjoyed talking to Pedro, and I hope you will enjoy the conversation too. Okay, Pedro, thank you so much for doing this. Like I said, you are one of the persons that I quote the most. So like, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Let's start with uh, where you were born, where you live now, and maybe some anecdote that uh, connects the two places. Um, well, hello, and thanks for inviting me. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be uh, as interesting as you, as you expect, but I'll do my best. And uh, I'm originally Spanish. I was born in Madrid. And after living, living in many countries, I, I decided to move back to Madrid. Uh, basically, I came back for New Year's Eve one, one year when I lived in San Francisco. And I met my wife. And I sold everything I had in San Francisco, and I stayed here, and I married her, and now I have two beautiful child, two beautiful children with her. Wow, this is a beautiful story. Going back home uh, uh, because of a girl, that's amazing. Um, Pedro, so like you have this very big smile on your face, so you look uh, happy with, with everything. How do you see the world right now? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? I'm very optimistic. I, I think we are making a lot of progress and I think we're making progress faster than ever. Um, I think humanity is all about first understanding what, what is this about, why we're here and if we're alone. And, uh, and then trying to build a, a better platform for survival for everybody so we can leave you know, a better world for the next generation. So I think we are in better conditions than ever to do that as a civilization. And um, when you look at the future, do you identify challenges to, you know, to, do, to build this platform? What, what are the challenges on building this platform? Or making so, it sustainable for me that yeah you actually mentioned a very interesting word that's coming up very frequently now which is sustainable sustainability uh, and as, as many words it starts with uh, with a definition that seems very narrow when people think about sustainability they often think about the environment or maybe climate but to me sustainability is about what I just said like uh, making sure that what we're doing now is is possible in the future and that we're leaving a better scenario which can be 
inside your company, inside your city, inside the planet for the generations to come or the next one to take your seat. Um, so, um, so yeah, I think that, that, um, that that's a very interesting thing now to think about, you know, after coming and coming out of the, the COVID crisis. And one of the biggest challenges I find is that look through, through the human behavior, we've built a very dynamic society, which is very good because we are now able to act really fast uh, and make progress really fast. Uh, so this dynamism has been responsible for us being able to, you know, detect the virus, the COVID-19 virus, sequence it, and then build a vaccine and then build a global uh, production platform in a very, very short span of time, which actually I think is going to be the, the foundation for the next generation of health, how we're going to respond to viruses in the future. So actually the investment we made to respond to COVID-19 has been really, really powerful because it has brought the whole planet to the next level for virus response. So dynamism is really good because it, it, it has allowed us to make progress faster than ever and also do it in a coordinated manner. Uh, so it's speed plus coordination that makes dynamism, that makes our society dy dynamic. But at the same time, we're seeing that the capacity we have as a civilization to respond uh, in a uniform way at the same time, you know, together and in synchrony can be very damaging uh, or can be very dangerous because we're now so powerful that we can hurt the climate, that we can hurt the ocean that we can pollute, that we can spread a virus with, you know, um, with the wrong intentions, uh, that we can generate a weapon that can create a that can kill a civilization. So the contrast or the conflict between sustainability, which is long-term thinking, and dynamism, which is short-term response, is the problem. And, and, and this is what the conversation is going to be about in the future. Uh, this works as a government, this works, you know, if you're the president of a country, this works if you're the major, the mayor of a city, this works if you're a father in a family, and this works as you're, if you're the CEO of a company. So how do you accommodate long-term strategy and long-term thinking with short-term response and dynamism? So as a company, for example, you can become obsolete in, in less than 12 months because there's a new disruptive company that comes in and breaks your market. And at the same time, you need to be uh, thinking in long term in, in all these frameworks of sustainability on how you're behaving uh, and how you're creating good for the planet, how you're creating good for your employees, how you're creating good for your customers and your users. So for me, the, 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 the leadership, leadership skills that are going to be demanded in the future are those that combine these two perspectives, short and long term. And not only the skills of the leaders, but also the structures that prove to be efficient and useful in the next few years are going to be the ones that tackle that uh, double objective at the same time. And what, what do you think? So like, it's complicated, right? How do you do this risk management? So like when, when you say, Okay, what's the long-term goals, sustainability, and yes, you're right, sustainable has been kind of right jacket for the environmental aspect, but it is social, environmental, and, and financial, right? So that's that's what makes something 
uh, unsustainable. But what you're saying is that we need to have this, uh, uh, this long-term view of sustainability, but we need to be fast uh, and, and uh, to have a fast response. Um, is this risk management? Is this uh, different incentives? Is so? How how can we balance the two? Uh, is like not focusing so much on um, um, efficiency and maybe focusing at least some part of your efforts in resilience, right? And and having uh, this. How do you say? uh the word is i'm lacking the word redundancy that will allow us you know like to to be more resilient in face of a uh, of a crisis because i still look at the world and see a lot of uh concerns over the short term right the next the next quarter the, the you know like the the investments that are going to pay back uh sooner than later and Okay, maybe you have a few uh, SpaceX companies that uh, allow for a, a business models that are going to pay back in decades. But most of the the uh, most of the cases we are looking into uh, short term interest. What, yeah, what well, is I... this balance? And, and if you can, you know, elaborate a little bit more. And I'm asking this because I know that. Uh, your work is related to helping companies forecast this uh, uh, this balance, these goals, right? Yeah, and I mean, this dilemma has always existed. You know, as a scientist, you know that you always have to think about, should I spend more money on uh, preventing people from dying of hunger? Or should I actually invest in building an agricultural sector in a country so that there's a self-sustainable? So if I, if I do the first one, nobody will die and the results will be very positive in the short term, but they will be dramatic in the long term. Um, you're feeding fish instead of teaching to fish, uh, so to say. But if you do the second one, you're going to be extremely unpopular and actually is going to be dramatic from a human standpoint in the short term because people will die, although you have the money to save them, but you're investing in the long term. So I've come to the conclusion that I actually I found a word that is what actually drives me nuts these days, and I'm I'm obsessed with this th uh, this thinking, which is hybrid. Uh, the future is going to be hybrid, and and there are different strategies to navigate this hybrid world, and depending on your conditions, you're going to have advantages or disadvantages. I'll give you a very stupid example, but as the world became more sophisticated and you'll see in different trends you can see it in fashion you can see it in music um hipsters happened because everything was so techy was so perfect was so square was so uh, digital that uh it disappeared and it it lost all the romanticism so you have people that were you know um in um we're missing the, the old times when you had a vinyl record and when you would make your own cigarettes and when you would sit for hours to speak with a friend, which are kind of the values that are embedded in this new generation of, of hipsters. Um, so you, ha you have this hybrid world where 
this guy owns vinyl records, but at the same time is uh, a client of a platform like Spotify. And, and he will have both, right? And he will enjoy both. As a father, you will see that you will have to te um, teach your kids and educate them on the now, on the here, on the physical family and environment and go play with your ball outside and make friends. But at the same time, you want them to learn to code in artificial intelligence or know what blockchain means and be part of a community of creators, of makers that connects online and uh, you know sends them, opens them to the world. So hybrid is also going to be about going back to the office where we, we want to be surrounded by people and waste our time having coffee with somebody because this is when serendipity happens. And this is where actually happiness happens. Um, when you have these kind of uh, experiences uh, outside your home and outside your screen. But at the same time, you want to have this conversation with me 7,000 kilometers away uh, in the same day. So the future is going to be hybrid. You're, you're going to be playing with local things, physical things, old stuff, uh, stuff that makes us human uh, with technical, tech-oriented, knowledge-based, virtual, global movements, trends, and tools that are going to make us better as a society. And I, I, I explained that, I think that there, there are certain things that will allow you to to be you know tackling this this double uh sided world better and for example i have to tell you as a government or as an economy size is one of them so you know i, I i've seen i've been looking at and this is one of the issues i was studying when when we met at the eisenhower fellowship i was studying the u.s response to the 2008 crisis and from my perspective, it was really interesting because uh, an old economy, or an old society like the European Union uh, responded to the beginning of the crisis, trying to maintain our current business working, you know, by incentivizing them. You know, this is just a, a short crisis. You'll get over it. Here's some money. Here's some incentives for you to recover where you would see that in the U.S., they set up all these ARPA agencies, these advanced research programs. Uh, they set up these uh, huge incentives for new industries like the electric vehicle, gene sequencing, brain mapping, uh, the, private, um, the private space industry, and, and many other new generation technologies that are going, that we're going to build the basis of the competitiveness of the US in the next century, or at least in the next few decades. And at the same time, they had to cope with the whole automobile industry in Michigan and in Detroit going going down. Ups. <laughs> yeah. So so it's a completely different response. One of them is short term, the other one's long term. From a political standpoint, I'm I'm really curious on how you can be in the position of being the the president of the country, and and be betting on this very long term. Uh, strategy, which is extremely unpopular in the short term, say people are losing their jobs and people are losing their homes in a part of the country and you're funding, uh, you know, SpaceX to go explore Mars. How, how do you defend that? And, and you're 
losing all these jobs in in companies like General Motors, Ford, but you're you're funding the electric vehicle, which is a promise, but may not you know become a successful uh, technology in 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 this competitive world that we live in today. So. I think that making bets on the long term is very important. Uh, having a long-term roadmap as a country, so having the intelligence to know what the trends are, what's going on, what other countries are doing, uh, and having the guts to put some money where your mouth is. You know, so to now that you know what the world is going to be about in the next 50 years, now commit to it and commit in, with important budget and and with stability, which is another thing that's Contrary to the structures that we have today, I, I talked about short term. So if you're a public company and you're traded, you're publicly traded, the stock market and your shareholders are going to be looking at the next quarter. And many of them are, you know, selling and buying in, in very short about, uh, periods of time. So it's very important to explain and for them to see the results of long term bets. So as a CEO, it's, it's very difficult to be explaining or or defending in the stock market to your shareholders, your long-term bets. But also uh, what's interesting is that usually the structures that we have in companies put the older people at the top. And you would think this makes sense because they, these guys are the guys with the most experience, but these guys are the ones that are going to retire first. So they're not, many of them are interested in making bets that are going to pay off when he's gone. So he's going to take all the impopularity at the beginning. And when he retires, this may, this may be successful. So the structures that we have, um, you know, for the how comp companies are organized, how uh, society and how politics works, how government works, the laws that we have uh, don't allow uh, long-term thinking. And this is going to become really important. And, and everybody has the mouth full of sustainability, but sustainability doesn't mean only uh, being carbon neutral, it means having bets on technologies, having bets on science that is going to make you competitive as a society in the next few years, having bets on science that will solve the real problems that we have today, that people die of certain diseases, that people die of hunger, that people die because they don't have a home and they, you know, and, and they live outside and, and they have all the kind of issues. So um, having this long-term view is, is, is very important. And what I found out is that only if you're a very large ship, uh, you can allow to have long-term perspective. And this is why, you know, the U.S. was very interesting. But I find that the, the strategy that China is following is even more interesting. Scary, at, uh, even uh, to a point. You know, this Belt and Road Initiative. If you look at it, it has a, you know, a, a perspective embedded in it that is based on making China a competitive economy on the very long term and on a global scale. And everything they do is kind of following an agenda that doesn't change depending on, you know, where, whatever uh, laws there are, whatever somebody votes, because they don't, they don't need to care about that. So, so size matters a lot. And, and I'm speaking from Europe where we have huge, you know, local identities and lots of uh, regions want to become independent and they think they're different from the rest and uh, they believe they can do better if they're on, on their own. And I think the future in, to which we're going 
is not a future of micro societies. It's a future of macro blocks that can allow to have this long-term perspective and commit to long-term objectives. So this is another vision of hybrid, you know, how being local, but at the same time being large and, and having size enough to, to, to tackle these kind of challenges. Okay. There are so many things that you said that I want to, to, um, to pinpoint. Um, let me see where can we start. So you talked about unpopular decisions for this long-term view in the beginning. And at the same time, we see the rise of celebrities, right? If you take a look at, you know, like uh, surveys on what kids want to be when they grow up, the number one uh, choice is YouTuber, right? And, and you have these, uh, um, you know, celebrities being considered to become the next president of the United States. So in, in somehow politics became a contest of popularity and you have this rise of celebrities. Do you think this uh, um, that those two things are related? That yes, uh, politicians are not as stupid as we think they are. They know what we they have to do. They just don't have the guts to go through. They just don't want to. They are not incentivized for this long term, and everyone is competing somehow for the short-term uh, um, popularity. So well, I, I, I want to go back the... To, 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 the, to the explanation I was given before, because I, I, I do think that in all democracies and even in outside democracies, what leaders explain and what the leaders do um, are two different things. So to me, there are two different kinds of... Um, societies or, or countries, those who have a long-term plan and those who don't. Um, so having a long-term plan means, you know, having or spending time and resources in building the intelligence to know what's going on and what's going to happen in the future and what role you want to play in that future. And then having the tools and the commitment to build a long-term plan that is bigger than your leadership. and What I've seen is that in some countries, I, I was a student in France, for example, uh, and I lived in the US for a long time. There are structures that go beyond whoever's in power. So the long-term view on energy, for example, in France, on their bet on nuclear energy is stronger than whoever's on, on running the country or on defense, you know, how they view their dum-dum territories and, and the structure of the country. Uh, the the long-term view of the role of the US uh, in the world is larger than the role of a president. So he may do some you know, theater in public, but there is, there is organisms behind building the intelligence to feed him with the right knowledge about, you know, this is, this is where the limits are and this I is see. where we stand. And this is what you have to know. And in, in Spain, this is something that I'm missing a lot, that the, whoever's in, in charge is completely volatile because there's no view and there's no matters of state. So matters of state seem, 
is, is the block of things that you put together like on your long-term view of the country and that you're able to adopt even if you are not you know completely aligned with them because you're committed with long-term plan so for example um uh, the structure of the education system in spain it really depends on whoever's the president and it changes every four years this is not good for a system where you know the education takes you know 15 years of your time um so if, if they're changing it in for every four years, the, the whole country is a mess. Yes. And then if you have five national identities inside the country, it becomes even a, a bigger mess. So that education should be a matter of state, as well as defense, as well as, as well as health, as well as um, some most of the international relations. So I, I think that there are countries that have that and have that countries that don't. Uh, in Even in democracies, uh, you have countries that you know, alternate between one party and the other and one country, uh, one, one leader or the other, but some things stay the same in the long term. And this is going to really matter. And you're a, you're a scientist, so you know that you could not change the policy on science every four years. Yes. Well, that This is one of, of the matters that should be a matter of state. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I have a question on this hybrid um, hypothesis. What, what I like about it is that I don't think um, we are going to have a world of average, okay, that things are going to be linear and, and that they, they are, that we are going to reach like a, an average. Everything is going to be on the average. I believe more in, uh, well, we can look at the average, but the reality is that we are, you know, like in, in, choosing one thing or another. Like you said, uh, today I want to listen to my vinyl records. Tomorrow, why not? I'm not going to be at home and I want to have my Spotify. So you're not going to have a system that is going to be homogeneous. So maybe like better than average, it's not going to be homogeneous. It's going to be heterogeneous and you will be able to jump from uh, uh, one thing or another, according to what's more convenient and and what's going to be comfortable or what makes you happy in that moment, because we are like this, right? We are more um, heterogeneous. At the same time, this uh, and and I like also that this creates redundancy, and I believe that we have been focusing so much on efficiency that if something breaks then it's you break okay because there's not so many redundancy mechanisms and when you look at nature that it's a very resilient uh, um, um, uh, um, sector let's say it has a lot of redundancy and of course it comes with a high cost of energy but uh, well that you can see as a, a waste right but it's not a waste if it brings you the safety of, re of uh, uh, resilience through redundancy. Um, but being hybrid, does it mean being dispersed, like this dispersed energy into all these different things that are going to allow for hybrid and redundancy? Does it prevent us from being focused? Because somehow focus is something that's very important for uh, um, innovation, for uh, for companies, for 
I see that uh, uh, there's a big risk in dispersing. So how do you see focus and hybrid uh, in, in building this, this hybrid future? Well, there are many things that you said um, that I, I'd like to comment about. Uh, first, um, a lot of people think about uh, equilibrium and they think equilibrium is a static. And again, you're a scientist. You know there are, there, there are dynamic equilibriums, chemical reactions. You put H2, molecule of H2, molecule of O2, you make water. And everything, everybody thinks that this is a unilateral, unidirectional uh, reaction. But you know, this is actually uh, an equilibrium. Even if it's very, you know, spontaneous, very enthalpic, yes. very uh, forced to very towards making water, but there's always water being dissociated automatically. And then there's there's molecules that get back together. So there's an equilibrium. And if you heat the water, you kind of, or you change the pressure, the equilibrium is gonna go shift more one way or the other. So equilibrium can be dynamic. And I, I think that a more dynamic world is a world where anything spreads faster. So if a reaction happens faster, you turn, you know, it, it, it reaches the whole medium faster. So it can reach a new equilibrium uh, faster. So we're making a very dynamic world where things propagate fast, uh, when reactions happen fast. So you can have multiple identities. And in this hybrid world, I, I talked about the richness, the human, the humanity in keeping uh, what's, you know, the traditional life in keeping what's local alive, what's physical alive, but having the tools to propagate what's good and having the tools to detect what's not good and, allow, allow, and stop it from propagating. That's, that's what really matters, right? So again, it's inevitable and in it can be very good that we deploy the capacity uh, and the technology to allow people to 3D print anything or to sequence the whatever genome uh, and and to uh, run any kind of code uh, anywhere, you know, without the need for a huge investment. What's in, in, important is to be able to observe what's going on in different parts of the world and detect what's good and grow it, what detects what's not good and stop it. Um, you talked about redundancy and and I'm absolute believer that it, redundancy is good because redundancy leaves space for creativity. So the old way to run things that was that the mastermind was at the top and he was more experienced than anyone. And he would, or this group would come up with an idea and then they would deploy it down. This, this is a totalitarian state and this is a old fashioned CEO, right? Like very, in charge of everything and very autocratic. Uh, and I'll give you an example. You would you would define the new technology platform of the company and you would spend millions of euros and then you would deploy it down the company. It would take years and it would be a huge investment, very risky investment. Technology is not penetrating like that in companies anymore, even in, in consumers. Um, if you look at your phone, you probably have two or three different messaging platforms at the same time. And none of them is actually winning. But they're all dynamics. They're all in, 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 in dynamic progression. So they see what the other is doing and they improve their platform. And then they copy each other. And then they improve each other. So they kind of compete. And they propagate really fast thanks to this digital economy. So 
The same is, thing is happening in companies. Instead of choosing one solution and then deploying it slowly to everybody, you allow redundancy. So you allow different softwares to do the same thing uh, inside your company and you let them grow and see which one spreads faster, which reaction becomes more spontaneous, more aggressive. And, and this can be dynamic because this piece of software that you're using today may not be useful tomorrow. So I, I, I'm a big believer in innovation that happens from the bottom and that goes up and that you allow to propagate. And in the role of the leader is no longer to decide what's better, is to have the data to decide which one is performing better. And this is really important. This is the basis of agile organizations, of, yes. of having people running experiments and whatever experiments turn out to do better, you propagate them. And in order to demonstrate which one is done better, you, hit, you need to come up with the data. And the interesting thing is that we now have data on a lot of things. So how are we going to build agile societies, agile education systems, agile companies? Uh, that's what the future is about. Um, one of the other things that you said that I wanted to, to ask you is, you have you mentioned these companies with a vision on the short term that have to reward the shareholders, and because of that they choose CEOs. That so it's a kind of vicious circle, let's say, that keeps uh, uh, um, focusing on the short term. At the same time, and I remember this from 2014 from a, a talk from the. Um, during the, the Eisenhower program that um, John Brown said, Amazon expects to have you know, most of their profit in the next five years from things that they didn't invent yet. And the shareholders are okay with that. Actually, that's what they want. So it's okay if you don't uh, um, share profit through this period, because it's actually this long-term view that is building value to the stock, right? And it's a completely different, or, or at least it's an outlier on, on the way most companies and stocks uh, um, function. And do you think it will take... And, and of course, Amazon and, and the, the alikes became a kind of gravity center and they are attracting this kind of shareholders, right? People that share that the same beliefs and, and interest. But you still see S&P 500, you know, like as, as a solid uh, um, entity, let's say. So let's say the old school thoughts is, is still there, is still uh, uh, valuable to a lot of shareholders. So do you in, in the end, do you think is the CEO, are the shareholders, are, are, is, is this competition going to, to, are they going to coexist in this hybrid world or, you know, because they are so antagonist, right? They... I, am, I, I, I think... Um, I, I always recommend an article from Harvard Business Review called Strategy in the Age of Superabundant Capital. And what this article says is that, you know, innovation has been speeding up 
since the beginning of time. But something happened in 2008 that made um, innovation change forever and, and made innovation more dynamic than ever before. To me, there are two events. The first is in 2007, uh, Apple introduces the iPhone, which has been the most important vehicle for the globalization of the internet. Uh, so this has been the, really the start of the internet revolution because smartphones have allowed you know, us to bring most of the population online and they still have a lot of work to do, but the, the world has radically changed because of the launch of smartphones. And the second thing is in 2008, when the crisis comes, governments dump you know, huge amounts of money in the system to keep it alive. And this has a profound implication on how companies behave. So the digital revolution coupled with a lot of money has made a big difference. What the article from Harvard Business Review explains is that, and it, it, it shows a graph of, and let me see if I can explain it only with words, but it, it explains how much a company grows in value, you know, how much it works, it grows in the stock market. Uh, the, the capitalization of the company, if you become 1% more efficient by reducing your costs, by being excellent at what you do, by efficiency. No what, what the article explains is that depending on how, uh, what the market situation is, the, the behavior of companies is very, very different. When you invest, uh, when, when capital was expensive, uh, it was most, most profitable to make the company grow in value by reducing costs. Right. And as capital became more available and more uh, and cheaper, um, the benefit of growing or, or the impact of growing the company through reducing costs remains the same. But when you increase sales, the value of the company multiplies and, and the effect is four or five times larger. Um, I can send you the graph later. But basically what it says is that from 2008... I'm already downloading the... I'm already accessing the article. Okay. So in 2008, the um, for the first time we see that the cost of capital reaches a level so low uh, that's never been seen before in history. And the values of companies multiply by four or by five if, if what they do is instead of being more efficient, they try to grow faster. Okay. So now speed of growth growth hacking, you know, globalizing, innovating, uh, going international, going global, becomes much more important than becoming efficient. Now, think about MBA programs, uh, baby boomer mentality. Most of the leadership skills that we had in the past were uh, focused on building efficiency, excellence, quality, all these things that you were studying in old MBAs. And you'll see these, these MBAs, these leaders that are trying to make their company more efficient. And actually the article says they, they, they will gain by a, a value of 6%. When uh, leaders that are making their companies go digital, go global, innovate faster and go to new markets are growing by 27%. So six compared to 27. And a lot of, a lot of leaders tell me, you know, 6% growth is fine. And I tell them no, because if your competitor is growing by 27, you become irrelevant. You disappear yes. from the market. And my, my feeling is that, uh, you know, the, the older generations are in power and they have this mentality of efficiency while the younger generations and the younger companies are following this 
you know, very aggressive digital oriented growth hacking model that is much more innovative, uh, that is mo much more tolerant with mistakes, that runs experiments with redundancy, as you said, uh, and these guys are going to take the whole space. So you very often see very, you know, important organizations, it can be agencies, it can be governments, it can be companies, that in their leadership teams only have people with the skills of the older generation. And that is very dangerous. That is, you become old as a, as a society, you become old as a system, you become old as a company, and you become irrelevant. And then you disappear, or you become poor, or poorer, you know? So um, it, it, is, it is important that we, that we recognize that we are in a much more dynamic world, and we need a hybrid of people in teams, people looking at the past and maintaining excellence and order and efficiency, but we need new brains, new people looking at the future. Uh, Long-term, we need to give them money. We need to give them power to invest in that. We need to give them commitment to, to support them. And if, in telling them, you know, if, if we're giving you money to go to Mars, we're ready to wait for 10 years. Then 10 years to go to another planet is not a lot, but we're going to give you yeah. 10 years, even if the stock goes down, because we know that in the long term, this is going to work. So... Companies that look at efficiency, but at the same time are thinking uh, about settling in Mars, have a much better capacity to stay alive and thrive in the next years. Um, and actually, this has spun a great movement, uh, uh, especially in the US. Uh, Eric Ries, the founder of the Lean Startup Movement, has created the long-term stock exchange. And, uh, and Luke Nosek and some other founders of, of PayPal uh, have created something called the Gigafund. And, and the Gigafund has the same perspective as the long-term stock exchange. They're, they're saying, if we're able to keep the, the company well-funded and, and you know focused, you said focused before, yes. focus on the long-term without having to care about reporting to investors and whatever somebody... ...build a better product long-term. So... If you're going to do something important for humanity, if you're solving a problem that's big enough, if you're trying to build a company that's big enough so that it can be rewarding to your investors in this world today, uh, you have to have this DNA in your leadership. You have to have this DNA in your investors and you have to have this DNA in the guys making the law and, and the rules of the game. Um, so take a look at the long-term stock exchange, oh, wow. uh, Gigafund, and, and going back to the last uh, example you said, Amazon, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft, they have the size. And I was speaking about size before. The guys with the size have an advantage in this new world. They did before, but they now have even more. Okay. I was going to leave this question for later, but you mentioned size again. Um, are you following what's happening in El Salvador? with the adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender. So El Salvador is very small, but I see this, uh, uh, you know, choosing Bitcoin with all the controversy that still exists around, but it is a bold movement and it's a long, long, long-term choice 
that I don't know that people realize how long-term choice this, this is and how this can hack their growth and, and their future. So like, if you, if you feel comfortable talking a little bit about this, because when you talk about size and I tend to agree with you, but then, okay, what does the small ones can, can do? And, and I think that maybe they have even to take like uh, um, riskier bets, right? It's I think I, my, my personal hacking, opinion is that it's too early. Growth. I mean, I think it's too early to, to play with a country like that. Uh, I, I think it's irresponsible. And um, it may be a desperate measure, but I, I think it's too risky, too irresponsible. And there are many things about Bitcoin that can go wrong uh, from the sustainability side, from the safety side, from the uh, long-term existence. So, so I, I think it's too early, but it, it's definitely something worth looking at. Um, in my opinion, actually, one of the most interesting things that has happened um, government-wise uh, regarding technology is what our colleague Arvind uh, Gupta is doing in India uh, with, with the project uh, India Stack. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but you should definitely have uh, Arvind in your uh, podcast to explain. I it, will, but I will. But you basically, know, some, sorry, but some, some people would argue that it's... Uh, um, it's exactly to prevent what things that happen in India during this process that uh, um, you should choose Bitcoin, for example. And you know, I, I don't want to advocate in a favor or, or uh, in favor or against, but what I I, I, I think that your uh, comment should be like in comparison to what, right? So it may be premature, but compare it to what? In the sense, if you are in a really bad place, then maybe a riskier bet is your best bet. So how how do you see this in comparison to what? Like, do you, do you think there are uh, um, situations or contexts that require a, a bolder bet, or or not? Um, so. Um, I, there's another article from Harvard Business Review that talks about uh, the timing for disruptive technologies to come in the market. It's called Right Bet, Wrong Time or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it gives a couple of um, uh, examples about uh, how, you know, technologies get adopted. And uh, the, you have um, the size of the of the or, or the projection you want to have for this adoption, how many users, uh, how big the, the the use of this technology is going to be, and the functionality it needs to cover, how complicated the functionality has to go. So you have, for example, the beginning of, of the internet with ARPANET that once had one single use for very few computers. So that's like the lower corner. Very few computers are very low functionality, uh, very low use then you can have uh, much more users with limited functionality. For example, if you use the internet inside a closed environment, uh, inside a corporation, for example, a larger network of computers, like a science uh, research lab, it, it would still be a closed environment. So there are little alterations or little unexpected things that can happen. 
in, in the functionality uh, is still limited. Then you can increase in size or you can increase in functionality. The internet we're using today has a lot of functionality. You can play games, you can stream video, you can pay, uh, you can do financial transactions, you can do many, many things. So if you're increasing in both angles at the same time, it, this becomes very dangerous because you're very prone for error to happen. So for me, the correct adoption of blockchain, if you're scaling it, is you either open the doors for new functionality to be used in different types of commerce, different types of, you know, for taxes or for uh, B2B payments or to B2C payments, or if you open it to a wider network of payments for one single thing. So for me, for example, um, examples of use that are happening following the same structure that, um, that the internet had are really interesting to look at. So um, use of blockchain in closed environments. And you would say you don't need that kind of uh, tool like blockchain in a closed environment because uh, you can you can provide security for transactions if, it, if the environment is closed. Okay, but you're still scaling the the um, uh, the technology and seeing you know the limitations and and the potential flaws, and then gradually increasing functionality. So using it for more complicated things. Probably the most complicated would be smart contracts. So smart contracts in an open environment would be the other corner of the ARPANET, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think that before I used it um, as a national, uh, as a nationwide spread tool with multiple potential transaction styles uh, and, and, and different flows, I would open it, you know, gradually to more and more types of uses and more and more users uh, so that I can detect potential problems easier. Okay. This is such an interesting conversation. We could go on and on, but time is limited. So I'm going to ask you my survey questions, my rapid fire ones for us to, before I let you go. And what is the book that you are reading right now? Um, I have three books on my table. Me. You, can you can show the three of them. Okay. This one I've read a hundred times. Uh, it's about how building, how you can build uh, plat a platform mindset inside organization and how to structure the architecture of your organization as a platform. We can discuss another hour about this because I find it really... Well, let me read it first and then we do an episode. On it. Uh, this one from Tom Malone from the Collective Intelligence uh, Lab at MIT, uh, describing how we've gone from traditional organizations, uh, you know, like shape, like a pyramid, very hierarchical, very bureaucratic, to agile organizations that we discussed before, you know, that run experiments where people with different different specializations or different skills work together in the same perspective on the same objective. Uh, to liquid organizations, which is something that I, I work a lot on, as you know, my company Opina works as a liquid consultancy, uh, where you can have people that are coming from inside and outside your organization working together uh, as an ecosystem. Uh, this is what any kind of open source company does or most of the companies that are opening their developer platforms to the outside. So liquid companies. And to me, Superminds goes one step further because uh, the communities of the future, the networks of the future are not only going to be made of people, they're going to be made of uh, people and computers. And it's the yes. merge between people and computers that is going to make us make better decisions and think better and, and, and build better organizations and better governments and better education and, and, and health systems. 
very interesting. And uh, this may you may not like so much. Um, I'm I'm reading about this guy, this Harvard uh, professor uh, that is doing research on on increasing your life expectancy and all the technology that's happening now and, and that's being discovered to try to tr build a health system that is focused on health instead of disease and how yes. to keep you healthy for a longer for a longer time and i i'm really excited about the the what's going to come in in that sense now that we have unlocked the technologies to be able to understand what's written in our in our genomes and uh, be able to edit it and uh, we're still far away from that, but I think that we're going to see very interesting things in the next decade or so. No, um, I'm of course, very excited with this. It's going to be one of the the areas that I'm going to focus on the next years. And um, but I I listened to this very interesting podcast where they were talking that the large one of the biggest challenges of this new healthy health industry and not disease industry is regulatory because we know how to, all, all the regulatory agencies to approve a new medicine are designed, all the regulatory systems are designed to approve, uh, to measure the efficiency of something against the disease, not against uh, um, improvement of health. And this may be the single largest challenge to develop this uh, um, this new medicine and and or drugs and and actually achieve the result of increasing life expectancy because they are not going there's no system to regulate them and i do have a few ideas around how to hack uh, uh, this that we can that would also get us another episode i the think certainly that the the um the future in 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 the area of biotech is the most uh um exciting and at the same time the most scary because uh, as you as we talked about the redundancy legal systems and regulations in every country are going to be different and some countries will have different ethics and yes. um but innovation is low so let's see where this leads us and some some countries may adopt maybe too early or in a, in a riskier uh, way those mm -hmm. things too um what do you take long or short lunch breaks very short very, very short very short but i i i take a short uh lunch break and but they i take a big work break just because okay. i need to take care of the kids at lunchtime <laughs> <laughs> Much I take the night shift with the kids, so like uh, I, I'm I'm stopping working uh, earlier to to take the night shift. I used to be, uh, uh, you know, like a, a night bird and work a lot at night, but now that changes completely. The last question is about Bitcoin. If you are a believer or not, and maybe you can add something on what we already talked about El Salvador. Um, not really. I'm not an expert. I, I just think that this is the the earliest. Do you have some? Do you have some Bitcoin or some cryptocurrency? No, not really. Okay. Um, but I'm. I, I think that is a very exciting uh, technology. And again, for like most technologies, we need to see how it's adopted, 
to see if it's the right time uh, and if you find the right use for, for that technology. It may not be Bitcoin. It may be some kind of smart contract that we still haven't figured out. Okay. But we'll see. That's it, Pedro. Thank you so much for the. Uh, is there um, anywhere that you would like people to? What is your preferred platform for people to get in touch with you? Is it email, LinkedIn, Twitter? Uh, I'm usually on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. So anybody who wants to connect, I'm I'm happy to talk over there. Thank you so much, and let's do it again some other time. Of course. Thanks for inviting me.